Bulwark. Lower your shields and surrender your ships. We will add your biological and technological distinctiveness to our own. Your culture will adapt to service us. Resistance is futile. The Borg are an amalgam of cybernetically enhanced humanoid drones of multiple species. Organized as an interconnected collective with a hive mind inhabiting a vast region of space. They operate towards one single-minded purpose. To add the biological and technological distinctiveness of other species to their own in the pursuit of perfection. They are the adversary of autonomy. The definition of slavery. They are the juggernauts of an infinite number of quadrants and parallel dimensions, including the mirror universe. The mirror universe has never been so treacherous. Hello and welcome to the Ready Room. I'm Jen, I play Commander Savril and Lieutenant Ryla Dredd. And this is Kenny, I play Captain Nathaniel Jacob Quinn and Nicholas Took. And this is Rick, and I play the evil Dr. Margon. <laughs> dun, dun, dun. That's right. <laughs> you play nice Margon, too. Well, yeah, in the other universe. In in the other, yeah, the other universe. Yeah. You play what? One-cheeks Margon? <laughs> That's right. <laughs> One-cheeks Margon. Right. Listen, Louie, mel- I have something oh, I to talk to. Oh, yeah. It's melted Margon. Yeah, melted Margon. That's what Margon. we're going to start playing. Yeah, melted Margon. Okay, all right. Margon. So I play M.M. There you go. <laughs> so welcome. Yes, thank you. As you can hear, we have Rick uh, as our guest uh, co-host again. He Yay, People Rick. loved him, so he's back by popular demand. Thanks for having me. With all my time off, I need something to do, and you've, you've given me purpose in life. <laughs> I'm so thankful. <laughs> okay, I'm better. Um, and on today's uh, Ready Room, it's actually a fairly short one. We only have about seven posts, I think, uh, that will be read mm-hmm. by uh, forum members. We will be discussing the story so far. We will give you our final thoughts, and uh, that will be all. So uh, let's go ahead and start with the very first post. you know it is over. You have entered our RPG space. You will adapt to the story so far. Our first post today is written by Jen and read by Jen. Savril sat up as the door closed behind David. She could sense the Emperor's annoyance as distinctly as she could hear it in his angry voice. His deep bass rose to question the intruder in the next room, then quieted as he received his answer. David's agitation quickly transitioned to virulence, and he shouted a vile curse to no one in particular. The Vulcan moved her feet to the floor and inched cautiously to the door in an attempt to hear the now lowered voices. Her teeth chattered as the cold air chilled her bare skin. She reached for a nearby robe and wrapped it about her as her ears strained to detect the muffled conversation. I asked for a mole, Reese. You've brought me a rat. 
muttered David. She jumped back as something crashed hard against the door. A heartbeat later, it slid open to reveal the hulking emperor. She stepped backward as he pressed towards her. Come here. She had been compromised. Severil glanced about the room, looking for anything she could use as a weapon. Finding nothing, the Vulcan settled into a defensive stance as the Emperor continued to creep slowly towards her. Leave us! He shouted to the men in the next room. Dakalin is coming. He's coming to tell me that you are a traitor! He inched around the bed as she shifted her weight and set her jaw in anticipation. Do you know how he came by this information? He asked with manufactured composure. Dr. Peterson volunteered it! His shout rattled within the room. The veins in his neck and forehead rose above the surface of his skin, and his face turned a bright red. Cyril was cornered, and he was enraged. With a blinding speed, he grabbed her by the back of the head and pulled her towards him. She threw a hammer fist in defense, but he blocked the powerful blow, twisted her wrist, and pinned it to her side. Of course, he was being tortured at the time. People will say just about anything under duress, he calmly continued. I wonder what you would say. He pulled her close and yanked her head back, forcing her to look up at him. Staring into her wide eyes, he whispered, Would you claim to love me? He studied her shadowed face a moment longer before pressing a kiss on her lips that she refused to return. After a long moment, he slowly released his grip. You seek vengeance. I admire that. Your passion will be passed on to our children, making them even more worthy of ruling my empire. I will spare your life. She narrowed her eyes at the thought of his mercy, for it always came with a price. The interrogator seeks my throne, but he lacks the ability to physically take it. To do so, he must prove me weak. DeColin will come for you and he expects me to resist. I will not. He turned back to the door. I know you have certain abilities that will ensure the safety of our children. See that you use them. Our next post is written by Hawkeye Meds and Jen, and will be read by Hawkeye Meds. David Locke turned to the viewport and pressed his hands against its cold surface. Beyond the porthole, silent explosions flashed, echoing the muted rage that he concealed at the pit of his core. His angry breath fogged the transparent pain as he measured the veracity of the individual testimonies. He's lying, David, whispered the Vulcan as she stepped closer to the brooding man. You know I am right, Emperor. She kept this secret from you far too long. Why? Because she was too busy making plans for a new life with Casey Peterson. When they weren't planning their family, they spent their time plotting to steal the phone, replied the interrogator with an eerie calm. David bristled at the lie, but let it wash over him. The danger of the situation doubled with Joseph de Cullen's half-truth. If she failed to inform her co-conspirators now, they would fall victim to the interrogator just as quickly as she and Casey had. With a thought, the telepath warned Talbot and Peters before sending a distress message to the cooperative Queen. The room echoed with a solid bang as David punched the glass. The Emperor had made his decision. His forehead rolled against the viewport as he turned his head and glanced over his shoulder at Seville. From the corner of his eye, 
he could see her lips move as she started to petition to him once more. Cutting her off, he uttered quickly, Take her to the brig. Do what you must. De Carlin produced a phaser and shot Seville in the back. She fell hard upon the cold metal floor. Her dark hair spilled over David's feet. The Emperor turned back to the viewport. He wanted to rip the Callan's eyes out of his head with his bare hands. But he would have to wait for that. He would have to wait until the moment was right. Though he couldn't wait too long, or Seville and their children would be dead. In an effort to be believable, David lifted one foot and shook her raven locks from his boot. The interrogator stepped forward and slowly knelt beside the unconscious woman. Tenderly, he turned her over and lifted her off the floor. The Carlin glanced at her placid face, pushed the hair out of her eyes and leered. The evil expression contrasted starkly with the gentle way he cradled her in his arms. He nodded to the Emperor, who continued to stare in the distance in ominous silence. Savrilla woke, suspended in an anti-grav beam. Her eyes darted about. Though she could not see him, she could feel Takala's presence. Do you know what a cortical implant is? came a harsh voice from the shadows. Seville focused on an area of the room where she had perceived Decarlin's giddy expectation. I'm sure you intend to demonstrate. Footsteps scraped the deck as he moved within the blankets of darkness, and she flinched as Dr. Peterson appeared from the shadows and crashed on the floor before her. Ah, oh, don't worry. Your minion isn't dead. Yet, said Decarlin. The plink of metal on metal sounded as a cortical implant was tossed onto Peterson and bounced onto the floor. He wouldn't talk. It took me two hours to even make him cry. In the end I had to resort to this crude technology to glean information from him. Do you know what he told me? Do you? The Carlin stepped into the light just below her and slapped her foot causing her to spin within the anti-grav beam. The queasiness returned and she closed her eyes in a futile attempt to still the dizziness. He laughed as he caught her foot abruptly, halting her rotation within the beam. You didn't think that the Emperor would buy the lie I peddled, did you? <laughs> well, it's not really a lie, is it? It's more like a half-truth, really. He circled her like a spider approaching his captured prey. The Carlin sneered as he reached into the field and placed his knobby hand on her stomach. Seville could do nothing to repel him, so she resigned herself to keeping her eyes shut tight. The Emperor's child, he hissed, not Casey Peterson's. I suppose David is too blink with a jealousy to consider a simple DNA test, hmm? Yeah, I knew he would be. Obsession makes people like him stupid. He laughed as he spun her again and then stopped her with a jolt. Samson and Delilah, King David and Bathsheba. The wife of you are. Yeah. You are his fatal flaw. His Achilles heel. But you knew that, didn't you? He spun her counterclockwise. I did too. I realised your power over him years ago. He had a wondering eye then. But he came to rest on you too often. He stopped the spin and lowered her within the field so that he could whisper in her ear. You want to know a secret? Shh. It's just between you and me. 
promise not to tell. I suggested that he send your husband after the ball to be rid of him. Uh, we didn't like the idea at first, but then again, he was very smitten with you, and decided that having a harlot was more important than the general's friendship. He leaned closer to her ear and bellowed, You green-blooded trollop! He caught her foot and pushed her clockwise in the field. Oh, oh, you're feeling sick, are we? Do you need to see a doctor? Well, I'm sorry, he seems to be at lunch. He laughed as he abruptly stopped her revolution. Seville attempted to focus her mind on reaching to Carlin's thoughts, but the spinning kept her disorientated. At first, I thought you were nothing more than a prostitute. Then I had no idea of your conspiracy until the good doctor broke his silence. It looked like my plans were very well timed. He spun her on his heel and addressed the prisoners. There are many within the Emperor's military who believe him to be weakened by this woman. I thought it was enough as she was a Vulcan, but it was a nice bonus to learn that you're a spy too. He quickly pivoted back to Seville. Those people no longer support him. And all I had to do was set David up to fail. Did I mention that his obsession made him stupid? It will be his undoing. But that was your plan all along, wasn't it? He skipped over the shadows on the floor as he circled Seville. I couldn't kill him. <laughs> he still has too many supporters and henchmen lurking about. I had to build doubt among his leaders. And for years, you have unwittingly aided me. The Empire knows that you have plotted against him. I wasted no time in sending that verification to the fleet once I learned of your little scheme. The Emperor was duped by you, a non-Tyran, and his supporters will espouse the actions I take to punish him, and claim the throne. While de Callum blathered on, Seville took the opportunity to penetrating his thoughts. She began flipping through de Callum's memories, searching for the most painful and traumatic experiences. She drew them forth activated memories of his mother, along with images of his first wife on their wedding day. She then merged them with images of screaming, tortured victims and blood. So much blood. In less than five seconds, Seville managed to simultaneously trigger every hideous memory within de Callan's mind. He threw his head back as he held it in agony. Ah! As he fell to the deck, his control device slipped from his belt and smashed onto the floor, releasing Seville from the anti-grav beam. She landed on her feet and approached the man thrashing on the floor before her. With her bare foot, she delivered a spine-back kick to the side of his head, causing his bioar to pop from its socket. He rolled across the cold metal floor and stopped at Dr. Peterson's side. The doctor raised his fist and smashed the little round ball. Seville offered a slight smile to her friend, then bent down and grabbed the callan by the collar and raised him to eye level. She held him there a moment, considering her next action. Then carried him with one hand to the control panel and opened all the cell doors. <laughs> Bring them on, trollop! coughed the interrogator, his face twisted into a bloody grin. Peterson stepped to her side, with a chair in his hands. Seville glanced at him, then to the prisoners who had begun to surround them. She dropped the evil man amongst the gathering mob and slowly backed away. She had work to do.
And our next post was written by Wraith1701 and read by Moyer777. Light years away from the drama unfolding aboard the Tiberius, and from the cloak flagship spying on her, the Klingon Cardassian Alliance's sixth fleet dropped out of warp. One by one, the motley collection of warships zipped into sparsely populated areas of space, rapidly decelerating to relative standstill. At the head of the fleet, a smallish, oddly shaped craft crept steadily forward. Seated at the center of the odd ship's bridge, its lanky Klingon captain slowly scanned a handheld data terminal. The Thalorian device is armed and charging steadily, he thought. Woe to any Borg we may encounter. The Klingon was so engrossed in his data readout, he failed to notice the cat-like approach of his Cardassian communications officer. He looked up with a jolt, hastily hiding his data pad as she laid a long-nailed hand on his shoulder. "'What are you reading, Captain?' she breathed into his ear. "'Just checking the fleet's status,' he replied. The Cardassian woman's hand curled and moved to the captain's cheek, suggestively caressing one of the many scars marring his face. As the Klingon's shoulders stiffened, the woman twirled his seat to face her. Before he could react, she hopped onto his lap, straddling him and staring into his eyes. A smile spread across her gray, lightly scaled face as she leaned into him. "'You can't lie to me, Voss,' she whispered. "'I know you far too well,' and she added with a wink. The Klingon captain glanced nervously around the bridge, catching a few of his crew as they quickly returned their attention to the workstation. "'You forget your place, Ensign Seska,' he growled. Standing abruptly, he tossed her unceremoniously to the deck. "'We may be allies,' he snarled. "'But you know how the Admiral feels about interracial relations.' Your behavior is both dishonorable and inappropriate. The Cardassian woman stood gracefully from the deck, dusting off her uniform as she stepped towards the captain. Inappropriate? she hissed. Hmm, that isn't what you said last night. The woman spat, then stormed back to her station. Perhaps you can polish your own batleth from now on, she added. In a desperate bid to save face, Vas stomped to the front of the bridge to address the crew. "'Attention, warriors!' he yelled. As the crew turned, the captain studied their faces that arrayed before him, trying to ignore the knowing smirks on several of the officers' faces. "'We stand on the threshold of greatness,' he thundered. "'We have been selected by the Admiral and the Regent to serve as one of the swords of the Alliance.' Vas' chest puffed with pride as he continued. "'We are about to enter battle,' with the Borg. The Klingon paced about the bridge, glancing from face to face. This ship is one of the select few that has been armed with the Alliance's ultimate weapon, the Thaleron Generator. Once deployed, we will be able to reduce the Borg to a pile of cybernetic scrap metal. Vass once again took his seat, turning to glare at the officers. Of course, we will also be destroyed in the encounter. But it will be glorious. Our names will be remembered for generations to come. A wistful smile crossed the captain's face as he trailed off, envisioning the impending greatness. Unnoticed by him, his crew returned to their duties, 
Some wore smiles of fierce pride, but more than a few wore looks of uncertainty and trepidation. And, unnoticed by all, a lowly, ragged Terran slave stepped quietly out of the bridge. As the bridge doors closed behind him, the slave leaned against the bulkhead, a look of concentration creasing his bearded face. The world around him seemed to fade away as the slave opened himself to the one true light of his universe, the soothing, healing voice of her. As a mental connection was finally made, the slave felt all doubt and uncertainty wash away. He shivered in ecstasy as chaos was temporarily replaced by unity and perfection of the cooperative. He sensed his queen's acknowledgement of his presence and her calm, silent inquiry. I have information for you, the slave sent. A possible threat posed by the Alliance. I am now uploading data regarding the Klingon's Thaleron generator. The slave was snapped out of his blissful state by the butt of a disruptor smashing against his skull. He shook his head, trying to clear his senses, and stared up into the leering face of a Klingon warrior. The warrior grabbed him by his shoulders and gave him a violent shake. Lazy Terranigan scum! Always standing around daydreaming! The Klingon shoved the slave down the corridor and gave him a parting kick to the rear. Get back to work, Katan, or I'll personally throw you out the nearest airlock. As the nanites within him began healing his injured skull, Katan grinned. Soon she would come and bring order to this troubled quadrant. The next post is written by Rico and Wraith1701 and is read by Rico. At the rear of the dimly lit bridge of the Negvar, two burnished steel doors slid apart with a harsh, grinding scrape. Karak stepped through, quickly surveying his assembled crew. Captain Clara glanced back over her shoulder as the general stomped forward to take position beside her chair. Karak placed a heavily calloused hand on her shoulder, arresting her rise from the seat and directing his glare towards the forward view screen. Magnify view, he rumbled. On screen, the Tiberius held station in the background as a similar escort ship hammered away at the leading board cube. The cube shield flared to life as they deflected the escort's phaser barrage, creating a short-lived sphere of coruscating energy around the titanic vessel. As the Terran escort completed its strafing run, a vibrant green spear of destructive energy lanced out from the Borg cube and was halted mere meters from the escort's hull by its own weakening shields. The verdant beam shifted position to follow the escort's flight path, never wavering from the same spot on its faltering shields. As Karak looked on, the escort shields flickered, then winked out. The devastating Borg beam immediately punched through the ship's primary hull, coring the saucer-shaped craft and emerging from the opposite side. Like a buzz saw cutting through rotted wood, the beam effortlessly traversed the length of the saucer, opening it up like a packet of field rations and spilling metallic debris, clouds of flash-frozen atmosphere, and the tiny flailing forms of crewmen into the cold, harsh vacuum. By and by, the beam intersected the thicker engineering section of the Terran escort, and as it ate into the warp cord, the image was whited out by the retina-searing glare of an antimatter explosion. Karak blinked rapidly to clear the afterimage of the warp core explosion from his sight. His vision cleared in time for him to see the sphere of hellish energy dissipate and fade away, leaving no sign of the doomed escort in its wake. As the Bork ship resumed its advance, the Tiberius and another escort craft moved forward, each unleashing a storm of glowing photon torpedoes. I've seen enough, Karak growled, 
drop cloak and hail the Tiberius. Across the debris-strewn gulf, the Tiberius continued its advance on the Borg. From the center of the command deck, surrounded by his frantically working crewmen, the ship's iron-haired admiral gazed stoically at the forward view screen. A somewhat nervous ensign turned to address the admiral. Klingon vessel decloaking, admiral. They are hailing us. Amid the slight chaos at the Tiberius Bridge, the eyes of the crewmen flicked forward. The tension was palpable as they watched the remains of their escort vessel spin off the edges of the view screen. Return fire again. Let's make those mechanical bastards pay for that, Admiral Talbot said as he stood close to the op station. He knew the battle was won, but these Borg did not seem to want to retreat. And the cleanup was getting messy, he thought to himself as he ran a hand through his short black and gray hair. The Negvar continues to hail us, Admiral. Very well, put him on screen, Ensign. But afterwards, I want an updated damage report, fleet status, and transporter report on survivors. Damn it, this should be over by now. Talbot said as he made himself sit back down in the command center seat as he tried to regain his composure as he watched the view screen waver and become filled with the bridge of the Klingon vessel. Back on the Negvar, Karak leaned forward as the view of the battlefield was replaced by the image of the Tiberius Bridge. A tall, black and gray-haired man of regal bearing stared silently at him. Karak noted the arch of the man's brow and his tapering ears. A Vulcan, he thought? Then his eyes locked with the man's, and he recognized a warrior's heart behind the steely gaze. No, not a weakling Vulcan. A Romulan. Karak stepped towards the viewscreen, squaring his shoulders and straightening his spine. Greetings, Romulus Naga. I am Karak, Admiral of the Mighty Alliance Fleet. As much as I detest your pitiful so-called empire, I detest the Borg even more. Karak crossed his arms before him and regarded the Admiral with a derisive smirk. I am therefore willing to offer a temporary truce and rescue you. My crew is ready and able to teach you weaklings how real warriors fight. The admiral of the Terran vessel regarded Korak coldly. His eyebrow quirked in indignation. Admiral Talbert here, leader of the Imperial fleet you see surrounding you and the Borg. You're a little far from home, admiral. I'm not in the habit of speaking to those that insult my heritage or my crew. Close channel, Ensign, Talbot said in a louder voice than he intended as the bridge crew turned to stare at him. Aboard the Negvar, Karak stared at the blank viewscreen in stunned silence. From behind him, he heard a stifled snicker, arms trembling with anger. He whirled around to face the bridge crew. Who thinks this is funny, he bellowed. Several of his crew's eyes flicked towards the warrior manning the science station before returning their own to their own panels. With an inarticulate cry of rage, Karak leapt to the rear of the bridge, simultaneously drawing his duck tang. Grasping the warrior by the neck with one hand, Karak lifted him from his seat and slammed him against the wall. Laugh at this, Patak! With lightning quickness, Karak plunged his dagger into the warrior's belly, then ripped the blade violently upward, tearing open the hapless Klingon's abdomen. The admiral watched the life leave the man's eyes as his viscera plopped wetly to the deck then hurled his twitching corpse to the floor. Someone clean up this mess, he yelled, whirling to face the viewscreen. Arm disruptors, load all torpedo bays and take us in. After wiping his blade off on his pants leg, Karak sheathed the weapon and took the seat next to Captain Clara's. He glanced at her, a wicked grin forming on his face. We will help the Terragans destroy the Borg, whether they like it or not, he said. And once we deal with the Borg, we will destroy the Tiberius as well.
Our next post is written by Jeff Sex and will be read by Billy Bob. The swirling colors of Transwarp parted and allowed the massive, almond-shaped organic craft to emerge into normal space. Thousands of cooperative drones manned their stations as their queen wordlessly moved to the dais in the center of her command chamber. Outside of the living ship, the Collective waged battle against the Terrans and Alliance in a fight to the death. With a thought, the young queen activated the communication system of the cooperative and relayed their message to the minds and machines of their enemies, just as three formerly cloaked cooperative ships revealed themselves to the combatants. We are the cooperative. Cease hostility and surrender. Aggression will be met with deadly force. Cooperation will be rewarded with harmony. The worthy shall be welcomed, and the flawed shall be allowed to leave this space unharmed, the voice of the cooperative said over the communication systems of the gathered ships and in the minds of their crews. Arya's message reached through the vacuum and even caressed the minds of the long-eared, multi-hued race that resided on the planet near the rift. In a less than subtle show of force, Arya's fleet fired upon the collective. Brilliant azure bolts of energy erupted from the six cooperative vessels to emerge from cloaks and transwarp. With unified thoughts, each ship targeted critical Borg systems. Purple-tinted arcs of power danced over the hull of the Queen's flagship as its own weapons added to the attacks against the Borg vessels. One of her agents was in severe trouble, and she needed that agent. Two hundred of her personal drones had been reconfigured for personal combat and stood at the ready to combat her enemies. Personal shields, cloaking abilities, and enhancements to their physical attributes would serve her children well in the event of personal combat aboard the enemy ships. Cloning chambers created through enhanced founder technology waited aboard her vessel, ready to replenish her fallen children. Disperse tactical drones to each Borg vessel with orders to neutralize the threats, Arya ordered as advanced cooperative sensors searched the fleet for possible new additions to their harmony. Dispatch cooperative vessel 2135 to the inhabited planet and begin harvest of 2% of the population. Yes, my queen, replied Megan, Alpha 7 of 8. The dark hair of the once-human woman highlighted her now snow-white skin and more of her queen's genetics than her own. As an Alpha, she served as one of the queen's eight chosen elite. Her modifications enhanced not only her body, but her mind as well. She was redesigned to function as an organic computer, a secondary node that processed vast information from the cooperative and transmitted the queen's orders to her children. Genetic additions acquired from the Binar tied her to the other seven Alphas at the heart of each cooperative ship. Tactical units are prepared for transport. Scout ship 2135 is moving into planetary orbit. Arya nodded. Vocal communication between her people was not needed, but they allowed her people a voice. Even as they spoke, the words were already being routed to proper locations via their interconnected network. Thank you. Duna, Alpha 4 of 8, served as Arya's primary communications officer aboard the ship. It was her responsibility to be the voice of the cooperative. When the cooperatives generally spoke to those outside, it was Duna's voice they heard. The once Vulcan had come to her new people freely after discovering the logic to the purpose of the cooperative. My queen, communications with our enemies are prepared to initiate on your command. Very good, Arya said. She then reached her mind out to her hidden children, the shadows that she had planted in the hearts of her enemy's fleet. It is time, my children. We now move directly against our foes. Fertilians, secreted among the many enemy vessels involved in the battle, modified to appear as the races they mingled with, once again heard the orders of the cooperative. They were her special project, a canvas that allowed her to create her own specific line of the species. 
Her fertilians were enhanced to be quite attractive to other humanoid races. Their natural pheromone abilities were integrated and enhanced throughout the cooperative, blended with Orion pheromones to create something quite dangerous. Those fertilians that had been modified for espionage had also been rendered sterile. She could not afford to lose an investment by having them die due to an unexpected pregnancy. Her fertilian spies were designed to appeal to anyone, but their appearance and natural sense were specifically created to target select individuals. The fertilians were her flowers on the world of her enemies. It was now time for her foes to see their thorns. It was time for her children to the battle to use their knowledge gained from their relationships to increase the tactical advantage of her people. She even had her favorite among them, the one designated as Spring. To that one, she had given many gifts and favors. Spring had earned a position among the Queen's elite and the title of Two of Eight. It was her job to use seduction and soothing to acquire the objectives of the cooperative. If Arya's people had a cheap diplomat and spymaster, it would be Two of Eight. Three of Eight, another of her select and former resident of the Delta Quadrant, had been instructed to use the Queen's personal shuttle to reach the Rift. Her task was simple. Find out what lays on the other side, and should she find the Alpha Signal, leave a beacon and the peaceful intentions of the cooperative. Inside the cloaked shuttle aboard the flagship, the young, fair-haired girl waited for word from her mistress to begin her mission. While her people normally had a lifespan of only seven years, she had been enhanced to live as long as the other members of the cooperative. With her old natural psionic gifts, Kess was a suitable choice for the mission. It was now time for her to greet her enemies with her own voice and complete her own objectives. With another thought, she activated communications to the Terran flagship. Emperor Locke, you have something of mine. Several things in point of fact. Surrender them and I might allow your vessels to escape intact, Arya said through the open communications channel. Many of her features still favored her mother's beauty, and the additional genetic additions only served to magnify that beauty. It would be obvious to those who knew Savril that they shared a genetic connection. Another thought raced through her ship and informed her crew to ready the nanoprobe warheads in addition to their standard armaments. You have 60 seconds to comply. Failure will force us to scour this system. Arm the Omega device, Arya said to her crew, and sever communications with the Emperor. She did not wait for a response. The humans needed to know that there would be no delay and no debate. It would take far less than 60 seconds for her to locate and get a transporter lock on her targets. She wanted her enemies to think that they had options when they did not. As each bit of information came to the cooperative, her people analyzed it and created new projections on possible events. It was Arya's hidden network of agents that leaked information of the cooperative's ability to destroy an entire system using a combination of an Omega particle to disrupt subspace and a trilithium warhead to send the star into supernova. Called the Omega device, it was a weapon of mass destruction that few possessed the ability to escape. While it was easily in the ability of the cooperative to create such a weapon, it was something that would defeat the purpose of her people. She did not want to destroy the universe, she wanted to save it. A single test in an uninhabited system provided her enemies with visual proof of the weapon's effectiveness. She did not need to arm her ships with the weapons. All she needed was the fear that they caused. The next post is written by Jen and read by Jen. David paced his quarters like a caged lion as the ship rattled beneath his feet. The queen of the cooperative had appeared before him on his personal display, demanding that he return what belonged to her. He faced down the queen with an arrogant pride that would have made his father proud. Yours. Are you sure? Well, 
She does look a lot like you, but... She is very much mine, and if you're not careful, so will you. You have 60 seconds to comply. Failure will force us to scour this system, replied Arya coolly. He threw a mug of ale at his viewer as his ship lurched from another Borg volley. The screen sparked, and the queen vanished. The drug that Dr. Peterson administered almost 12 hours before had long ago worn off. But the rush of adrenaline that recently flooded her body had numbed the symptoms of her troubled pregnancy, and she took full advantage of its temporary benefits. Savril strode with a driven purpose from the brig to David Locke's quarters. At last, she would act upon the vengeful fantasies she envisioned while he slept peacefully at her side. Her bare feet padded quietly on the cold metal deck plates as she advanced towards his door. The robe she wore when she was taken by DeColin hung loosely about her. Her hair fell in messy strands over her heaving shoulders. Her teeth continued to chatter, not from the cold air, but from the rage she willingly allowed to break the surface of her composure. The Emperor had murdered her husband and stolen her freedom, but his ultimate transgression was endangering her children. His guards failed to stop her progression as she stepped into the entry. She flicked the brawny men aside like Suletri and entered the room. The Emperor was dressed in his military uniform. At his side hung a dagger and a phaser. He folded his arms over his chest and leveled a devious grin at the slight Vulcan. You made quick work of my guards. I suppose you've taken care of Decolin for me as well. I was just about to retrieve you from that spineless trash, but it looks as though you've saved me the trouble. The low light cast ominous shadows over Savril's face, and they moved over her skin like a lover's caress as she stepped towards the Emperor. Her eyes were narrowed, her hands were curled into tight fists, and her jaw was set, causing the tendons in her neck to protrude. He laughed. You look upset, my love. Let me work the tension out of your shoulders. You wouldn't want the stress to affect our children, would you? His hand dropped to his dagger in preparation as she continued towards him. Her expression changed, and tears welled in her eyes. She stopped and covered her face in humiliation as silent sobs overtook her. Unaffected, the Emperor watched a moment before moving cautiously towards her. After a protracted amount of time, he gauged her strange emotions as genuine and covered her small hands with his own, as if to soothe her. Pulling them gently to his chest, he then wiped the tears from her face. A victorious smile stretched across his lips as she melted against him. Weeping audibly now, Savril held him tightly. He had won. Or so he thought. He bent to kiss her and she returned them eagerly. When she was certain that he was completely distracted, she slid her hands from his back and seductively moved them onto his shoulders. With one hand, she ran her fingers through his hair. With the other, she gripped the pressure point where his neck met his shoulder. His firm kiss slackened as his mouth gasped in shock, and the slight Vulcan stepped aside as David's hulking form fell like a downed tree. Absotic! She shouted the Vulcan word for idiot as she wiped the kiss from her mouth in disgust. Grabbing the back of his black uniform jacket, she dragged him from the room. 
Her adrenaline was spent, and the queasiness had returned, but she was determined to be rid of the man who had ruined her life. She pulled him into the turbo lift and rode it to the next floor where the transporter awaited. As she exited, soldiers jogged past, oblivious to her presence. The battle had intensified, and they were focused on survival, not on the Lissom Vulcan who pulled the massive Terran with little effort down the corridor. She paused briefly as the nausea threatened to end her mission, but the children stirred within her, encouraging her to trudge on. She slapped a weary hand upon the Emperor's back and hauled him into the transporter room, then onto the dais. Locke moaned as she stepped down and approached the transporter panel. From behind the station, Severo closed her eyes and focused on Admiral Talbot's distinct mental signature. She located him quickly and made a single request. I require the coordinates to the Borg King's central alcove. The answer came quickly and without an inquiry of his own. The whir of a transport aroused him and David sat up. An eddy of shimmering particles enveloped him. And as his form was transported to the Borg cube, he heard Savril's voice echo through the gulf. Ram Halan, Kidawa. She sarcastically spat the Vulcan words for farewell, beloved, then stumbled out of the transporter room. Savril wheeled herself into the lift and requested the command deck. The minutes were a blur as she ascended. The bustling activity of the bridge gained her attention as the door whisked open. There, before the viewscreen, was Admiral Talbot. In a daze, she stepped from the lift and wandered through the absorbed bridge crew to approach the Romulan commander. Admiral Talbot, she uttered as he spun around in surprise to see her standing behind him. The Emperor is aboard the Borg Cube. I put him there. Please, allow him the time to suffer before you destroy it. Our last post today was written by Rico, Jen, and Just X, and is read by Jen. Hail the cooperative vessel, said Talbot. This is Admiral Talbot, commanding the Tiberius and the Imperial fleet, Talbot said, as he noticed Savril straighten at the sight of the younger version of herself on the view screen. Admiral Talbot, we have heard of you. Savril, servant of the cooperative, you have done well, said Arya coolly as she nodded to the Vulcan standing beside him. The word servant rang harshly in Savril's ears. She was not the Queen's servant, nor was she David Locke's property. The Vulcan had managed to free herself and her children from the Emperor, and now she would liberate them from the cooperative. Though physically weak, the former mistress managed to lift her chin with confidence. I am not your subject, and I will not be returning to your organization. The queen merely raised a brow at the statement. Did you not realize that we would anticipate such an action and calculate its effect on our harmony? Your personal genetic code is already part of the cooperative. Your refusal to join us is irrelevant. Savril regarded the younger woman, whose dark features filled the viewer. And did you not anticipate that the telepathy you granted me would enable me to trace your thoughts? You value family above all else. You would not discard your siblings so quickly. You covet them. But I will not allow you to add them to your growing collection. 
Arya narrowed her eyes. Savril now threatened something that did not belong to her. She swiftly considered the probabilities of her servant's actions and spoke with carefully chosen words. The telepathic bond you speak of has also revealed your motives to me. I know that justice was done, Empress. We will grant you this boon as payment for services rendered. However, you would be wise not to mistake our kindness for weakness. We are also willing to grant you and your allies safe passage in exchange for genetic material of specific individuals that interest us. Arya's people rarely negotiated, but it served her great agenda to do so. The compromise would plant the seeds for her future victory, and would cost fewer resources. Safe passage? As you could see, the Tiberius and the fleet have been making easy work of the Borg in this area. Talbot said. He had an immediate dislike and a clear distrust for this person who looked so much like Savril. Arya tilted her head slightly and transmitted a list of names within the fleet of individuals who had drawn her attention. We are not our cousins, Admiral. We do not simply adapt. We anticipate. And we already have seen our victory. We hold superior firepower and tactical advantage. Failure to comply to our demands will result in our taking whatever we require by- Talbot interrupted Arya's threat with a signal to cut the transmission. Savril glanced up to the much taller Romulan. Thank you, she said with a slightly irritated tone. She is driven to realize her goal. You should heed her warning. May I study this list as well, Admiral? Certainly, and you will also fill me in on what you've been up to, Savril. Talbot said, trying to leave the emotions he was feeling out of his tone. Let's start with the story so far. What's been going on? There's been quite a bit. Not many yeah. posts. Not many posts, but I'll, those posts that, that, we, that were posted are really heavy in story. I mean, a lot of stuff is happening mm -hmm. it in, is. The, in the posts that we have. I've noticed that... So um, ask your questions. Okay, here's, I have lots of questions. Um, first okay. off, I have to say that the posts are so amazing because they, it's like reading a novel at this point where you're just, you're just sucked into it and you don't even realize you're reading an RPG. You're, you're like, like it's reading a book and it's been really, really good. But there's so much going on and, and it's such a deep story now. Um, I guess I just need some clarification from you, Jen, on, on the... Um, the alliance and who's who and how this all works because um, I know Savril is is um, really going through the ringer. I mean, she just had all sorts of crazy stuff happen to her in, the, in these posts. And I uh, kind of want to know where she's at and how does she fit into the other universe and so on and so forth. So what do you have to say, Jen? Okay. Um... <laughs> Well, basically, she's been used. This, this is Mirror Savril, not... Arabella Savril is not in this universe. This is Mirror Savril. Right. And she's just been used this entire time since her husband died. That's all that she is, is just a servant. And um, David uses her, and Arya uses her. Arya, I mean. And so <clears throat> she's just decided she's had enough. And she's going... She made... Uh, she she um, saw that justice was done for the crimes that David Locke did to not only her, but her husband. 
and she punished him for it in this in this last week. She um, well after DeColin, actually what happened was um, DeColin um, had tortured Dr. Peterson, and through the use of some cortical implant, one? found out. Yes, personal physician to Cyril, and also kind of like her right. ally that helps her do her spying because she is she was spying for the Alliance. Um, but uh, DeColin finds out that um, Peterson is aiding her in this, and he he always had kind of like uh, he he already knew that that the the Emperor. Um, kind of had a wandering eye and then it settled too often on Savril and he, he orchestrated that relationship so that he can manipulate the emperor and um, bring him down in a way because he knew that Savril would be his weakness and in order to defeat the emperor and to take the throne he had to prove that the emperor was weak and Savril was his proof and over time he he manipulated that relationship and has you know basically orchestrated the demise of the emperor with you know and Cyril was un, an unwitting participant in that so does that answer kind of your question as far as that's concerned can i go on yes do you have that, any other questions related okay, to that? so now yes yes aria or aria or mm -hmm. you say aria i say aria it you know doesn't really matter which way but <laughs> that character in this universe is is now is she she holds a special spot, and has that been revealed? That has been revealed. Isn't she the queen of, of? Is she the queen of the board? She's the, the queen of the cooperative, which cooperative, is a faction. Yeah. Cooperative. Of the board. Okay. There we go. There we go. Yeah. That's what I was thinking. What's the difference between the cooperative, and is it there's a there's an alliance, right? And the right? board. And there's the board. there's, there's four, four factions. Yeah. Okay. Explain there's those four to me, and I'll be a lot happier. Okay, there's the cooperative, the Borg, the Alliance, and the Empire. The cooperative okay. is is a cousin to the Borg, and they operate sort of on the same principle. Only instead of um, just assembling assimilating an entire people, they take what they want from that culture and leave the, the, the population alive to revisit them in the future. So they, they take from them a little bit of genetic um, material from them. Whatever it is that is um, unique to that culture, they'll take from it and um, it. incorporate it into their, into their organization. And they move on to another, and they'll take what they want from that organization as far as genetic material. So it could be any... You you can take any major race in the Star Trek universe and say, okay, the Klingons have this as a a um, uh, a benefit to their race, you know, genetically, and take that from right. them. And the Vulcans have this genetic material that makes them special, and you know, and that could be like strength or the ability to be telepathic, uh, touch telepaths or whatever. So the cooperative takes what they think is most important or are um, beneficial to them from that race and incorporates it into their organization. Whereas the Borg okay. takes technology and genetics, okay. but so now, mainly technology. Okay, so the cooperative then, when they take that, do they leave it as well, or do they, they strip that from them and then that race doesn't have that anymore? Does that make sense? They, 
they take like the best of that race they take the genetics from the best of that race and they leave the the population so that i mean it's kind of like a crop they can revisit you know they only take the best tomatoes you know okay. and they plant right. the seeds the... for a new generation and they come back to harvest okay. later so they're almost okay. worse the board... than the board okay got it okay that helps mm-hmm. a lot thank you okay Okay, so okay. There's, the, there's the cooperative, there's the Borg, and now there's the Empire. The Alliance. And the, the Empire. Empire. And yeah. the Empire. Okay, okay. What's the Alliance? The Alliance is what you see on DS9 that Worf runs. Worf and Kira. Got it. And it's like, it's the Cardassian Klingon Alliance. And they basically rule the, you know, front, and the DS9. Um, television series, they rule the mirror universe. And I think they took over after the Empire fell. But in our version of the mirror universe, the Empire has been remade. So they are now in conflict against the Alliance. Does that make sense? Yes. Mm-hmm. And that, because I just read uh, Raid 1701's post where he is, he is the Alliance. He's he's mm-hmm. he's writing about yes. the alliance mostly, and doing yes. a great job, by the way. Yeah, it's great. And Seska <laughs> showed up. That was cool. Oh yeah. Hmm? <laughs> yeah. Seska, that dog. From the Voyager series, right? She's a yeah. spy. Yeah, she's Cardassian. Cardassian, uh, portraying a Bajoran. Well, in the yeah, series, how he, described he described her great. Had her personality right down. It was great, very fun. Of course, I didn't really sound a lot like Seska, but I tried. <laughs> Whenever I hear her name, when I hear the name Seska, I think of Cessnas or what like the plane. So I've oh Cessna, yeah, yeah Cessna, yeah. So Seska Cessna. Mm-hmm. So if she was a pilot, then it would be Seska Cessna. Never mind. It would be. Should yeah. You, you have any other questions for me? Bring them on. Okay. Okay. So, all right. So then there's the. Okay. So the, you've got. We've got all four. Now the last one is the Empire, and we already know what that is. Okay. Yeah. You you cleared things up for me. Thank you. You're welcome. So what? <laughs> okay. So so now um, we're going to be. Are we coming to a, a, a fork in the road again, and are we going to be? doing some um, I mean because obviously the alliance is going to get there and there's going to be some stuff that happens and it yeah. kind of already is happening here in what we read Yeah. So. well what happened is that Savril killed the emperor she beamed him off right. onto the Borg ship um, and so basically what would happen after that since she offed the emperor she would become empress but she doesn't want the power so she's offered it to uh-huh. Talbot and Talbot says I don't want it either so they've made kind of like a temporary uh, partnership to um, kind of rule the empire empire while they in the interim, I guess, while um, the council decides who they want to name as the next emperor. Margon. So, and I, yeah, Margon. <laughs> so yeah, you mentioned some. You've mentioned an emperor interest Melty in taking face. the empire, and we've hinted yeah. at a mutiny that may arise on the ship. And mm. Rick and I, or Rico and I, have have kicked around the thought that Zrem would start that mutiny. 
So Margon could theoretically join that mutiny, and and we could play the Amok Time fight music, <laughs> and Somebody's got to have their shirt get ripped too. Yeah. We don't have. But I don't remember what I was talking about. Well, we were just talking about um, what was going on so far. Um, okay, yeah. so you beamed, uh, you beamed the emperor off into the Borg. And yes. Oh, okay, I know. Yeah, um, yeah Talbot and Savril have decided, you know, because Arya um, sent over a list of people in in exchange for um, a safe passage. She would grant them um, safe passage. And would stop um, attacking them or stop the Borg um, if she if if the Tiberius exchanged these people of interest that the cooperative is um, you, you know interested in. Mm-hmm. And so, um, Savril and and Talbot have thought it over and decided that uh, not only do they not want to exchange people for you know um, safe passage, but it would give air. The cooperative a um, strategic um, leg up on on the empire. Advantage. Thank you, thank you. Advantage is the word I was looking for. It's ten o'clock here, but um, yeah. So uh, rather than do that, they've decided not to, and instead they're going to contact the alliance and propose a pact between the alliance and the empire to fight against the Borg and, and the cooperative and in exchange they're thinking of giving the alliance Worf who is on the Tiberius right now in the brig and when Savril escaped the brig she dropped a colon in the middle of a mob of angry prisoners that she released and Worf was a part of that mob so he's probably running loose on the ship somewhere but cool. I wouldn't want to be to Colin. No, and, and the funny thing is that Meds and I decided to leave that open ended because we didn't want to write his death scene because we want if we ever revisit the the mirror universe we want him to be you know the um, the maniacal you know DeColin that we know Deformed from this DeColin story because he's, <laughs> yeah. he's got sliced up pretty good I would imagine my yeah goodness, and, be and like throwing, we left it know. where. Yeah, Doctor Peterson has the metal chair to to pay him back for <laughs> hit him in the, hitting him in the chest with the metal yeah. chair in the first scene. <laughs> so, yeah. But anyway, very, very fun, very descriptive. Everything's been very descriptive and very detailed. So it doesn't surprise me that you may be a little confused. And I don't know if that's because we didn't do a good job of describing it, or if it's just too much information. I just think there's a lot of information going on right now. But there's a yeah. lot of information. And I need to pay attention better. <laughs> I mean, it's not so bad if I'm watching a Tom and Jerry cartoon. That's pretty easy to follow. But when you, you know, when you're reading such intricate and cool writing, you really have to pay attention. So that's that's my fault. Well, there's still a little bit, a little more to go for Act Two. Um, yes. As I've mentioned, there there may be a mutiny involved on the Tiberius, and there may also be a, a battle between. Um, the cooperative and the Tiberius at least and I don't yeah. know if at this point whether or not the alliance will ally themselves with the Tiberius or not but um, cool. that's kind of up in the air now is that what the mutiny is going to be over the, the mutiny will be over the fact that 
the Emperor is dead, and two aliens would be taking over the Terran Empire. Okay. So it's not the fact that they don't want to join the Alliance. Right, no. Okay. It's That's the fact totally that separate. the Emperor is dead, and Savril and Talbot had something to do with it. And That's, the assumption and would be that Terrans. they were taking over. Right. Yeah. Got a little bit of racism going on there, eh? Yeah, you know, uh, slavery in the Empire is, I think, has been abolished. But I, we think probably the 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 old uh, animosity would still be there between the oh, races. Yeah. Definitely. So, Definitely. Yeah. We still have we have the Borg and the Cooperative. They may be on. They're not on the same side. No. They may. They're, you know, the Borg are after everybody, regardless yes. of who they are. So yeah. it's not like it's the Borg and Cooperative against the Alliance and the Empire. Mm-hmm. I think it's going to be really right, fun. Right now, all four of them are fighting each other. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. What I think would be awesome, and I hope somebody writes this, is when Locutus and Arya face off. The king and queen. The big oh. battle. <laughs> that would be cool. <laughs> I don't think Locutus well, think, would stand a chance. <laughs> yeah, I think we have plans for Arya, so... Yeah, don't want to kill us. And 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 Chris and I have been talking, and uh, what I've said in the past about Arya being psycho is somewhat changed now. So I'm not sure that that's completely the case now. She just believes so that she's... that the well, she okay, just believes so. that what she's doing is the right thing for that universe. You know that that she's in order still to. Crazy. I think so too. <laughs> I mean, to have thoughts like that, to ma- you know, she's mass murdering populations of people. I think so for the too, greater but, good. But Chris you know. has said that she's just doing what she thinks is right. Well, so. so did Hitler. He thought it was yeah, right. A lot of people still do, I was wrong. Say, a lot of people justify <laughs> what they think is right to themselves, don't they? Now, yeah, I, mean, I think it's right to eat a whole thing of Oreo, but it's not. <laughs> So yeah, so I guess you know, from a certain perspective, he's right because she is doing what she feels is right. But from a certain point of view, that's right. Yeah. So she'd be psycho to some other people. That's yes. And and I've kind of tried to justify this. If her clone has her Katra, what kind of effect would that have on the real Arya if she doesn't have her Katra anymore? Would that make well, her? Yeah, crazy? that's what I think. That's yeah. I had a question about that because we were saying that this was the real Arya, but the real Arya's Katra was kept. Transport, yeah. So, so if have this is the real Katra and she doesn't have her soul, would she not be a little bit maniacal or psycho or not having a soul? Yeah, I think she would be. Maybe, yeah. maybe she'd be like bipolar, or she would have personality like you know one minute. Yeah, she's she wrestling. Does. She's wrestling mm-hmm. with what she knows is right and and what she wants to do. You know, in order to achieve power and balance in the mirror universe. So that's my theory. But what, what Chris has in store for his own character is completely, you know, different. No, he so, has to do what we say. Character. Chris, Chris, if you're <laughs> yeah. listening, you've got to write your character the way we say. We've decided. We've, we've all chimed in. We voted. We won. I think that this is a, a good... Um, indicator that the character is interesting and complex you know that we would be able to form yes. ideas and and um theories on why she is the way she is you know yeah i think he did a job making her 
this way. But only Chris, oh, yes, knows. Only Chris really knows. Yes. Props go out to you, Chris. Thank you for making such a cool <laughs> character. So when is Margon going to make his his appearance in the story? Yeah, what happened to Margon? He just kind of disappeared. Well, his Margon, face melted yeah. and he took a nap. <laughs> yeah, his his face melted and then he didn't have to work for a while and had to catch up on some other things around <laughs> home. And so therefore, he's now coming back. Um, no, I, I've got a couple of ideas, but I, I probably need to do a joint post with a couple of people and, and uh, bring him back into the picture. Um, obviously, we don't know exactly what happened to him. All we know is that uh, he's got some splaining to do. Um, but now, he since since the emperor is dead, this is going to throw a monkey wrench into that. So, you know, I'm thinking about it. I'm thinking about it. Empty yeah, Callan but would he know that the emperor's dead? That's something else to think about. No, How many he of these won't people know yet. Would know? Yeah, but the Talbot he is planning to he's make scared. an announcement. Well, Talbot's right. planning to make an announcement to his crew, so that's when people would find out that the emperor is, Start to is find gone. Out, right? I mean, so right we don't now, know that Martin he's dead. Be... Right. Yeah. So anyway, I have to find out where a couple of other characters are before I can write the next part, and I'm, I'm excited about that because uh, who knows what we're going to do with old Scarface. <laughs> well, I do face. know that Shepard is going to be taking uh, coming back into the story as well. His story, David Reese, was a henchman of, of right. um, David Locke. So he's mm-hmm. written to me and asked um, what he could do to rejoin the story. So maybe he Excellent. and Margon can join forces with that Zrem. kind of cool. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Ooh, Blue Boy. Mm-hmm. I love it how Rico refers to his character as Blue Boy. Yeah. <laughs> That's funny. And what about Quinn? What's going on with Quinn? Yeah, Quinn... We didn't read that post yet. Yeah, that, so that post will be in next week's. Um, okay. Yeah. But That's cool. But he is being, he's being, he was found, luckily. Reese, Reese Peters found him. Um, and he's, right now we're just working on a plan to hide him. For, well, you I know, mean, at least, in, I'm sorry, go ahead. Kenny, I really dug the way that, this is great, because Reese Peters, who is dead in the regular universe, is alive yes. in the alternate universe. And yes. Quinn, who is dead in the alternate universe, is <laughs> alive uh, wait a minute. You know what I mean. He's, he's, <laughs> that's correct. Yes. Anyway. Yes. Yeah. Yes. So one is dead. dead. Yeah, there are two dead guys talking to one another and getting along and kind of. Yeah, it's kind of. Yeah. Weird. Yeah. Yeah. I, yeah. I, neither I, of them can believe both. Either of them are alive because both of them know that they're dead in their own minds. Right. Yes, their own version of that person is dead. Is dead. That's so they can't believe that they're actually both there together, alive. <laughs> so <laughs> it reminds me of an. It reminds me of an old Irish pub song. Have you ever heard this song, you guys? No, seriously. I think Meds will get a kick out of it because he tells me that he spends a considerable amount of time in the pubs. <laughs> so let me sing it. I'll just sing it for you, right? If this is really, okay. this is really good. What right. you, is, Go ahead. Is you, you, I don't know if we can like, simultaneously. Maybe you could help me. Nathan, could you help me? He's Oh, because he could do the, the – anyway, you go, brum, brum. Brum, brum, brum. You get all the crowd singing that together. Brum, 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 brum. And then the, the lyrics go like this. O'Leary is dead and O'Reilly don't know it. O'Reilly is dead and O'Reilly don't know it. They're both lying dead in the very same bed. And neither one knows that the other is dead. Brum, 
I like it. Yes, I do. It's really good when you get the whole the whole crowd going. It's very Irish. I think you should write an RP. Your next RPG parody should be based on that song. Okay, so it should be. So, so, uh, Reese Peters is dead, and Quinn doesn't know it. Reese Peters is dead. Okay, I I got they're both lines dead in the very same bed, and neither one knows that the other is dead. I like it. Let's do it. Yeah, I'll it make works. A special one up for you. Okay, you got it. Here we go. Here we go. <laughs> so yeah, so that that is Quinn right now. Um, I'm still waiting. I know I'm I'm going to be doing some joint posts with uh, Chris pretty soon because Arya will be involved in Quinn and Quinn's life. Because mm-hmm. I just noticed in your last post, Jen, that we haven't actually read yet that you mentioned Quinn. Yes. In it. Yes. Yeah. Do you want me to mention Every, Everybody's looking... I'm sorry? you want me to hold off on what that's about, or do you want me to mention um, what was in that post? Um, yeah, let's wait until next week to talk about it. Yeah. Okay. Since it didn't really involve this week. We, we, stopped at, we stopped at post 104, so we shouldn't really go on. Unless we're going to talk about like future stuff, like this. When do we see this? When do we see Act Two ending? I don't know. I thought weeks. it would come. I thought it would come right after um, this last post. But it, if people are developing these very interesting rebuttals, and rather than <laughs> stop it, you know, and start the next, you know, the what would be the ending of our story. I'm willing to see it through as long as it serves the story. You know, these these other yeah. ideas that are coming through that they're being emailed to me and they make sense and they and they sound like they would, you know, really enrich in the story even more. Mm-hmm. So um I, I think it could last a couple more weeks the way this Yeah, I mean is going. as long as as long as there's so, interest and people are posting, I don't see why we mm-hmm. don't continue the story. You and know, typically right. Uh, the second act of a novel usually is longer than the first mm-hmm. and the third, so it's okay. Yeah, you know, as long as it's yeah. not dragging out and boring as heck, you know, I'm willing to allow it to continue to play out. Well, I'm I'm just so. telling you right now, a good mutiny will be worth it. I'm telling you. <laughs> yes, I think so too. I, you just can't get enough um, backstabbing in the mirror universe. So <laughs> that's right. Arg, arg. There's a lot what, going what a on in of- this universe. Whoa. Bunch of pirates. That's what yes, we are. Yes, there is a lot of backstabbing. I think that's there is. Just, just the 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 um the theme of the whole story. <laughs> yeah, yeah that's what we're gonna call the, what we're gonna title this season. Twist Backstabbed. and stab. We do need to come up with a good title, by the way. So if anyone out there can think of a good title for this season, yes, email me at the Ready Room Podcast at gmail dot com. Knowing that typically. Mirrors have something to do with the uh, title. Yes, or reflection, or yeah. anything that is, is you know obviously it's a play on words also. Yeah, glass or anything like yeah. that. If you look at our previous titles of the last seven seasons, both Jen and I tried to come up with something that would, you know, you can read it, you understood what the season was about, but it was also a play on words. Mm-hmm. Mm. So, so yeah, if you guys cool. can come up with something, we haven't titled season eight yet, and. I, we normally like to title at least halfway through it because we kind of have an idea of the story and where we want to go. And well, I'll send you my my list of fifty eight titles tomorrow. You do that. <laughs> okay. You do that. And if I get tons of titles, we can always put up for a vote. 
yeah. in the uh-huh. RPG section. And then people can just vote on it. When we did the first seven, we just kind of picked them ourselves. Quinn's, Quinn's really bad day. <laughs> <laughs> I think it should be Quinn's excellent adventure. <laughs> <laughs> I think it should be Quinn's not so excellent You're adventure. Like, put him in the Iron Maiden. <laughs> excellent. Excellent. so let's see so um yeah so uh i guess that's it for the story so far are we done yeah i think so hey rick's like yeah we're done (laughs) all right so let's move on to our final thoughts we are the borg resistance is futile Plug into your alcove as we communicate our final thoughts. And it goes quiet. (laughs) Final thoughts. What should we make our final thoughts? Final thoughts. Oh, wait. I I need to read a post. Let me bring that up on my computer. Okay. We got a comment. Sweet. About our, our podcast. Yes. It was very cool. Nice. I've been begging and begging people to do it, and finally someone does it, and I don't read it. Oh, an email, you mean? Yes, an email comment. Yeah, okay. Oh, yeah. yeah. Well, now email. Email. I just got to get to my email now. And we finally got a listener feedback email. It's Sweet. from – yeah, it's from Mike. He goes by Feathers on the forums. He's actually an, a fairly new member of the forums, and he's from uh, – uh, Great Britain, England. England. No, that's right. So, you, are you going to read it in an English accent? If I can do an English accent, I would do an it English. Would be. Accent. All right. Well, that's all right. Go ahead. <laughs> I, can, I can forward the email to you, and you can do it in any. No, email. no, no, no. That's fine. That's fine. Just all as right. long as you end the email with Cheerio, because he he, cheerio, he educated mate. Angela and I on the proper use of Cheerio. So. But he didn't write it in the email, so Cheerio is no, a breakfast. Okay. <laughs> Doesn't it lower your cholesterol? Yes, it does. I like Cheerios. Okay, here we go. Cheerios. It says, Ken and Jen. I almost said Ken and Jenny. Kenny and Jen. (laughs) All right. It says, Kenny and Jen, forgive me for taking so long to write. It seems I always finish listening to The Ready Room just as the next one is released. So I always put off any comment until after the next one. Just wanted to say that I'm really enjoying the current incarnation of The Ready Room. I've never gotten into reading the RPG on the forums, but having it delivered to me in its entirety on a digital platform once a week really makes it accessible. Different voices for the different posts is a good idea, too. Mixing it up like that keeps the attention focus on the story and adds to the dramatic impact. Thanks for all the effort you put into this. I look forward to the next installment of... The continuing story. And that's awesome. it. Thank you Mike. so much for that email. So thank you, uh, Feathers, from the forums for sending us in comments. We're really gl- glad you like it. And um, it's stuff like this that keeps us going. I have one word for you, Feathers. Cheerio. <laughs> <laughs> he says so, you never use that. If, Just, oh, 
For real? Yeah. <laughs> he, he educated us on that. He said, by the way, we never use it. And so I replied with, howdy. <laughs> by the way, we never well, use that. <laughs> okay, let me take that back. Uh, feathers, I have one word for you. Thanks. <laughs> uh, so if you want to be like Feathers and send us in a comment so we can make fun of it, um, go ahead and email it to thereadyroompodcast at gmail.com. Once again, it's thereadyroompodcast at gmail.com. I really wasn't making fun of the post. It was very sweet. I'm sorry. No, I apologize. No. I'm so red right now. <laughs> Fan my face. Fan my face. Feed me grapes. Do something. <laughs> All right. So um, let's see. Do we have any other final thoughts? Oh, gosh. Uh, we pretty much talked about, I mean, the second season, our second act is it will continue as long as uh, people are participating. And it's interesting. And it's, and well, it's of course. The same old you know, fighting yeah. in the corridors and, you know... You know, but this... Fortunately, this season hasn't been like that. No. It's no, been it's really... Very... Every post has been unique and different, and it's been progressing the story along. Yeah, uh, it's been very I good. think that's, you know, why they are coming slower, which is kind of nice. Yes. They're much longer, and they're a lot longer to read, but they are definitely um, progressing the story forward, so it's yeah, not... Yeah, and I think people are thinking it out more. Yes. You know, it may take longer to put a post up, but it's it's really tying in with the story better when yeah. that happens, rather yeah. than just mm-hmm. someone replying instantly just to something they see. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and the collaboration, the collaborations are really helping um, to keep the story cohesive. Definitely. And, uh, it's hard. Sorry. We have, like like Rick said, there's four different factions all fighting, trying to keep track of that. Alone and then trying to post something that encompasses all that is difficult. So yeah, it gets a little joint posts. Joint posts are definitely uh, very good. Oh, I, I do have a final thought that I wanted to share. I wanted to thank everybody for all their feedback on the RPG writer song. You know, we were painting one day and we had a Skype um, call about this season. It was before we started the season, and we were all talking. And I had the idea that that morning to do that song, RPG writer. And uh, and anyway, we finally played it last week, and then Rico played it on Treks and Sci-Fi on Sunday as well. And uh, I got tons of emails, and it was just thank you, everybody. I was really, it was a really fun song to do, and it was just my challenge was to get Kenny and Jen's name to get your guys' <laughs> name in the song, and I did it. And you did it, yeah. I, I, well, it was a really your Jen and get your Starfleet pin. It was <laughs> a <laughs> it was re- a really well made song. So I just like I like the vocals. I thought the vocals were cool. With all the different I think this is, yeah, that's the first song anybody inc- wrote with me in it. So, yeah, that was a treat. 20, and it got 20, stuck in my head, which, which is really nice. To of vocals on that. Oh, uh, man. Yeah, it takes that much to make it all sound like, well, I mean, the Beatles were amazing. So, I mean, yeah. how do you even get close to that, you know? <laughs> so, I just, I did my feeble attempt, but it took 27 tracks to do it. But it was well worth it because it, it was really, awesome. it was really cool. Yeah. Well, so now, we, now we want another one. So, yeah, we just before we started the ready room here, um, we were talking, and I think we have another song in the works. Yes, <laughs> we do. It'll be fun. It'll be very fun. <laughs> fun. <laughs> All right. So, um, is there anything else you guys want to say to our listeners? Um, keep writing. Keep reading. And keep listening to the Ready Room podcast.
<laughs> that didn't sound rehearsed at all. <laughs> we should we should go keep fighting, keep listening to the Freddy podcast. Red, 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 ready room podcast. That's what friends are for. Oh yeah, keep writing. That's what the RPG is for. (laughs) Hey guys, thanks for joining us for the Ready Room. And uh, Jen and Kenny, thank you so much for letting me be part of it. This is Rick. This is Kenny. And this is Jen. Hailing frequencies closed. Yay! And before we. We did it in one. And before, yeah, we did. Woohoo! And before we finish, I just want to wish Rick a happy birthday. Because by the time this comes out, um, his birthday is the following Sunday, so. Is it really? What day is that? The 26th. It's next Sunday. He's going to be 20 years old. Woohoo! Bottle Geritol, I'm going to be taking it as soon as Sunday rolls around. All music used on the Ready Room Podcast is provided by Moyer777 and Metron07. Prum, 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 prum. O'Reilly is dead, O'Reilly don't know it, O'Reilly is dead, O'Reilly don't know it. They're both lying dead in the very same bed, and neither one knows that the other is dead. Prum, prum. Prum, prum, prum. Reese Peters is dead and Quinny don't know it. The captain is dead. The lieutenant don't know it. They're both lying flip on the very same ship. But neither one knows that the other's not hip. Prum, 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 prum.